you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them with me tonight to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10. I um, just want to zero in on, on one verse with you tonight and uh, kind of unpack uh, what I think uh, is an immensely important concept, principle, um, exhortation, command, whatever you want to describe it as for the Christian. Uh, it's something that has um, really helped to, to give profound shape to my life, um, to uh, grow me in my faith and my walk. Um, and, and I hope tonight that uh, it can be a blessing to you. I hope it's something that um, we all understand. And so potentially tonight it's just a, a reminder for us. Uh, but perhaps tonight it's not something that you've grasped. Uh, in your walk with the Lord. And I hope tonight that if that's the case, um, not so much that you grasp this, but rather that it grabs hold of you. Uh, because if it grabs hold of you, it really is um, life-changing, life-altering. Uh, and, and I don't say that lightly. Uh, I don't use that as a, as a cliche. This what we're going to look at tonight, this, this truth, uh, it really did alter and change um, my understanding of my faith, my relationship with the Lord, my walk and purpose uh, in, in life. Um, you ever been putting a puzzle together and you need that one piece? It's like if you just have that one piece, it kind of all comes together then. Um, get that one piece in, it's kind of like from there, everything else then finds its place and, and it goes together kind of as it's intended to. I think sometimes for a lot of believers, um, even, even those of us who have spent a long time in church, um, um, we, we've got all the pieces of the faith. We've got all the concepts, we've heard all the all the Bible studies, we've been in all the discipleship classes, we've, um, you know, we, we've grown up in the church, we've been faithful to attend um, services and, and practice spiritual disciplines, but it kind of seems like they're just the pieces spread out on the table, and it's not all put together. How do we, how do we get everything put together? And, and I think what we're missing sometimes is that one piece, that one unifying peace that brings everything uh, in, in, into its place. And that's what this verse was for me. It may not be the same for you, but I'm inclined to think it is because what we're looking at tonight really is that peace. We're going to just talk tonight for a few moments about the glory of God. The glory of God. Uh, I guess the first time I was ever exposed, if I could use that word, ever taught, ever heard um, this, this exhortation, this truth that all things exist for the glory of God. Uh, now, we, we're familiar with that language, give God glory. 
Um, I remember hearing that, I don't know how many times growing up in church, let's give God glory. Um, if we're not careful when we hear that phrase, it, it can lead us to think that God is somehow deficient in glory. That he needs glory. We need to give him glory because he doesn't have enough glory. Or we need to give him glory because his glory meter is running low. His glory tank is kind of getting on empty. God's not gotten enough glory from us today, so we've got to build his glory up. That's not what that means at all. And we can't have that concept in our minds because it's entirely deficient and defunct and entirely not true. God is infinitely glorious. There has never been a day, nor will there ever be a day, in which God has not had all glory. He is infinitely glorious. So when we speak of giving him glory, we're not talking about trying to add to something that he is deficient of, to, to raise up something that he is low in. When we speak of giving him glory, uh, we're, we're speaking of uh, recognizing who he is and worshiping him in light of that, of our lives then reflecting that in who we are and what we do. So this concept of, of giving God glory, the, the first time that it really clicked for me um, was, ah, goodness now, probably almost 25 years ago, maybe a little bit longer. Um, I heard a sermon preached by a gentleman named Scott Kay. It was a youth revival. Uh, he came and he preached, and um, I had the opportunity to tell Scott about this uh, probably a decade afterwards. I ran into him at a conference, and we were able to catch up, and I said, man, I just want you to know, you preached this sermon, and you probably don't even remember being at that meeting or preaching that night, but man, that sermon, I just remember sitting there going, wow, I don't know that I'd ever thought about this before. But it was just a sermon about the glory of God, the greatness of his glory, and how his phrase was, the measure of our pleasure in life is the measure of our treasure. The measure of our pleasure is the measure of our treasure, meaning if we're lacking in pleasure in life, it's really an indication that our treasure is not great. But if we make God our supreme treasure, if we make God that which we value most, treasure most, then our pleasure is never waning. We are satisfied in the greatest good that we could ever know or possess because we're satisfied in this God who is infinitely glorious. And so it kind of brought all of this together. What it did for me is that it shifted the focus. Many Christians, many churches, we live our lives with a man-centered focus, even in our faith. We focus in on ourselves. We think about ourselves. We, we, you've heard me use the phrase, we're, we're navel gazers. right? We're just looking inward all the time. We're myoptic. We, we, it's just, we bring ourselves to the center of everything. Well, when you begin to understand and grasp and hear the truth of the glory of God, it 
shifts what that focus is. The focus then is no longer us, but it's Him. God's glory, Jonathan Edwards says, is the end of all things. Jonathan Edwards is probably one of the brightest minds that has ever been produced in the American continent. He was a great light of the Great Awakening, a pastor there in New England. Um, but he, he wrote a treatise, wrote many works, uh, but, but one w- which was geared towards this subject, uh, the end for which God created the world. And Edward's conclusion was, based upon Scripture, that God brings everything back to this one purpose, his glory. His glory. Everything in the end will bring about the glory of God. Now, let me, let me tell you how that began to shape my thoughts and how it brought me to this, this centrality of God's glory in, in everything. Bear with me for a moment, okay? Stay with me. Hear me out on what I'm about to say. I grew up in church thinking my thoughts shaped and I'll take full responsibility for the shaping of those thoughts. They were my thoughts. That somehow, if an individual died lost in sin, was separated from Christ for all eternity, and sent to hell, that somehow God had lost, and His glory wasn't fulfilled. Now, let me be clear. We don't want to see people die lost. All right? We do not want to see people die lost. We don't want people to spend eternity separated uh, from Christ. We want them to enjoy heaven. We want them to enjoy eternal life. That's why we go on mission. That's why we share the gospel. But what I'm trying to get at is this encompassing view of the glory of God in all things. It's the centrality of all things. It's the end of all things. It is the ultimate thing, God's glory. And so this has kind of been formed in my mind that, man, God's glory is somehow diminished or lost or not recognized in him having to send people to hell. But that's absolutely not the case at all. In fact, God's glory is upheld because in sending unrepentant sinners to hell, he is vindicating his holiness, his justice, his righteousness. So even the judgment of sinners, as horrible as a thing that is, and as much as we don't desire to see anyone go to hell, and while we go on mission, and while we share the gospel, I'm trying to be clear with you on this, okay? Hear what I'm saying. But God's glory is not diminished in that. Rather, it is upheld and displayed in all of its greatness and vastness. So the centrality of God's glory in absolutely everything, the end of God's glory in all things. So that thought began to shape my life 25 years ago. And then a couple of years after that, after Kathy and I were married, uh, started out uh, with some careers, bivocational pastoring, went on to seminary, And while I was there, that continued to grow. And I began to see this and understand this more and more and more and more. In fact, it was probably one of the 
one of the main things that, that God just worked into my life in seminary. It wasn't so much academics that I learned or uh, Bible information that I learned. Certainly you gain those things in your time at seminary, but it was just this, this, this realization that it's all about his glory. It's all about him. And that changed literally how I thought about everything, how I saw everything, how I desired to live in everything. And this is what Paul brings his thoughts to here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll start reading in verse 23, and then we'll kind of zero in on verse 31. 1 Corinthians 10, 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So let's pause right here. So in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is dealing with the issue of idolatry among the believers in the church at Corinth. He's giving them some instructions, some, some insight, looking back to the Old Testament as examples, and then he kind of brings it up to a contemporary issue. Should believers eat meat that had been utilized in offering sacrifices in pagan worship? Meat that would be placed before an idol, and then later removed and sold out on the streets at the meat market. Is it right for a believer to eat those things? Well, Paul's ultimate answer is, well, meat sold in the meat market is just meat. Because an idol is nothing at all. So Paul says, if you realize that, eat the meat. It's just meat. It's meat that came from the animal that belongs to God on the world that he made. For all things are his. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But Paul says, while you may be okay with eating it, you need to realize there are some others who may not be. So he gets into this issue of conscience and liberty. And so he's giving kind of some guidelines here. We need to pursue edification over gratification. Pursue building up others more than building up yourself. Think of others first before you think of your own self. So Paul is kind of laying down these, these teachings. He deals with the issue of liberty and legalism. Uh, do we have to be legalistic about this? Paul says, no, you have liberty. But understand, if a believer is troubled with this, you don't want to trouble the conscience of another believer. So defer to them and help them kind of understand where you're at to see if they can't grow uh, and then they can experience liberty. So Paul's kind of giving a lot right here. And then he comes to verse 31. And this is, this is the trump card, right? Paul says, so... 
whether you eat or drink. That's the topic he's been dealing with. Eating meat that's been offered to idols, drinking drink, whatever, whatever you do, whether you eat it or you don't. Statement. Or whatever you do, here it is, do all to the glory of God. That was Paul's exhortation. Everything you do, including your eating and your drinking, you do it for the glory of God. That exhortation, that truth, that command is the guiding purpose of our lives as believers. And it touches absolutely everything. We are to do all that we do so that God is glorified. So that his holiness, his righteousness, his infinite worth and majesty, his his infinite beauty, his grandeur, all that he is, is seen, declared, delighted in. Everything that we do, his glory becomes the center of, of our of our lives his glory is like the sun in our solar system everything else revolves around that you know there was a time in the history of mankind that uh, they thought the earth was the center of all things and everything kind of spun around the earth right it's been a long time since i studied all that so i can't remember the dates exactly and who all those scientists were but but then they had that that revolution Huh. we're not the center of all things. Something else is. There's some Christians and there's some churches that need that same revolution. Revelation. We need to recognize that we are not the center or the end of all things, but God's glory is. So let me give you just three thoughts on this, this idea, this end of the glory of God in all things. Number one, it's our purpose. God's glory is our purpose. Isaiah 43, 7. He has created us for his purpose or for his glory. I've created you, he says. I've called you by name. I've created you for my glory. As Christians, He has made us new creations for his glory. You read Ephesians 1, three times in that that opening uh, chapter as Paul is unpacking the the beauty of our salvation, uh, the triune nature of it, and Father, Son, and Spirit. Three times, Paul says, he has done this to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. This is our purpose. It's what you have been placed upon this earth for, and, and not just you, but everything. What did the psalmist say in Psalm 19? The heavens do what? Declare the glory of God. Everything that exists is to this end, that God would be glorified. Well, believer, that's your purpose tonight as well. That your life would be used, as we say here at Poplar Springs, to make much of Him. That is your purpose. 
It's not that we have other, don't have other things that we must give attention to, but it's not that we don't have responsibilities as husbands and wives and uh, in our jobs and as parents. Yes, yes, all of those things give purpose, but the ultimate purpose, even in those things, is that God is glorified. This is our purpose. The Westminster Catechism, uh, that catechism that uh, that kind of gives shape and understanding to our Presbyterian brothers and sisters. The first question asked, what is the chief end of man? The very first question, what is the chief, the ultimate end of man? And the answer given, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is our chief purpose, to glorify God. So God's glory is our purpose and then, and then secondly, I want you to see that, that God's glory is pervasive. Pervasive. Meaning it touches absolutely everything. This is what Paul says. He, he begins in dealing with the issue in relation to his topic of, do we eat this meat? Do we not eat this meat? Do we drink drink that's been offered up to idols and then sold in the market, or do we not? Paul says that's a, a question of your conscience. He says, but whether you eat it or you drink it, Make sure you do it for the glory of God. If you don't, make sure it's for God's glory. If you do, make sure it's for God's glory. And then Paul broadens that out, and he says, this principle of God's glory as the purpose of all things doesn't just pertain to the issue of idols and meat and drink, but it touches everything. So whatever you do, you must do it for the glory of God. Whatever you do or whatever you don't do, it's got to be about God's glory. It's pervasive. It touches absolutely everything. So, so here's the question that should drive everything that we do. Am I doing it for God's glory? This is the principle that should shape the husbands that we want to be. Am I a husband who glorifies God and how I love my wife? Am I a parent who is raising my kids so that God is glorified? Am I an employer? Am I an employee? Am I a student? And whatever role, whatever season of life that you are in, it doesn't matter because the purpose of all things, it's God's glory. So it is pervasive in all things. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. It's our purpose. It's pervasive. And then this is our priority as well. This is our priority. This is what we live for. To reflect God's glory. Now, as we think about this priority, here's, here's what I want you to realize. This is an everyday endeavor. Every day that we live, we should endeavor to glorify God. Not because he's deficient in it, not because his glory meter is running low, no. God is infinitely glorious, and because of that, he is worthy to be glorified. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy that we reflect his glory and beauty and majesty and grandeur. This, this is an everyday endeavor. So what Paul is getting at, whatever you do, I don't know what you're going to do tomorrow, but whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. And if you're not doing it for the glory of God, 
then you're doing it wrong. And this, uh, you're, you're getting this for free tonight. I hadn't thought about this today. This is why whatever we do that's not a faith is sin. If God is the end of all things, and his glory is the end of all things, if we're doing those things not to glorify God, then we're doing them for the wrong reasons. And such is the case for every lost person that's out in the world today. They don't know God, nor do they glorify him as their creator. And therefore, even what we say the good things that they do are still in his eyes as filthy rags. Why? Because the end of all things is the glory of God. The end of all things is he is made much of, that he is glorified, that he is, is exalted, that he is made known. I don't know, maybe you're here tonight and you think that's a really bad deal. Well, he didn't have to make you and put life in your body today. You can take that up with him. He's God. He's God. Revelations 4.11 You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor. Why? Because you have created all things and by your pleasure they exist. It's our daily endeavor that we glorify God in everything that we do. And if that's not our end, we've gotten it wrong. And then here's what you need to know about this priority. Not only is it a daily endeavor, but it's our eternal destiny as well. That's what awaits us in heaven. A kingdom in which there will be no end of us glorifying God perfectly. This is the promise in the book of uh, Habakkuk. That the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. That's what awaits us in heaven. It's a place in which all of creation then glorifies God to that ultimate end, to that chief purpose. That everyone who resides in that kingdom, his glory is their aim. And every moment of eternity will be filled with that completely. It's our eternal destiny. So if that's what awaits, I think we should go ahead and get on it now, right? So every day and everything of that day, are you doing it for the glory of God? And if you'll take that and let that grab hold of you, if you'll let the glory of God, his being, his person, his character, his, his, his nature, his glory. Glory's a hard thing to define. I don't know that I can give you a a complete definition of it. It's kind of like if I asked you to define beauty for me. What, what are you going to say? How are you going to define beauty? Well, it's one of those things that you know we can't exactly put into words, but when we see it, we know it, right? How do you define a picturesque sunset at the beach? I mean, it's but when you see it, you know, man, that's beautiful. It's hard to. To, to define God's glory and all that it, it pertains to. But when you see him and when you know him, oh, you can't ever forget it.
And to that end, we give our lives. That in whatever we do, we do it all to the glory of God. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. And, oh God, what, a, what an aim, what an endeavor to do everything for your glory. Father, I pray tonight that we could live in such a way that we would know that our chief end is to glorify you in everything that we do. Father, would you help us to learn this, to live this, to love this, that our lives may be counted for your glory. Father, I pray for these who are before me tonight that this word, by the power of your Spirit, would be written upon their hearts to shape their lives, that, that, Father, they would ask themselves day by day, moment by moment, am I doing this? That you, O oh Lord, would be glorified. That your greatness would be known. That, that you would be the center of my life. Father, help us to do that. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.